Guys, geez, uh, you know, Mark was talking about it earlier, but I was reading out of um, Revelation, and I just, this passage seems pertinent. Um, Got to read it to you. This is from Revelation chapter 6, all right? Here's what it says. And I looked, and the fifth seal was opened, and I saw a cub, the offspring of a bear. And on its standard was a blue W for all to see. I mean, we, we, we talked about the kingdom coming last week, but I got to be straight up. I didn't think it was coming this soon. Um, just, uh, you know, heed Jesus' words, repent, all right, because the kingdom is at hand. I mean, word is coming out. It's like archaeologists are, are discovering texts that, that say that hell is actually cold, not hot. Um, the Vatican came out last night that the Pope actually isn't Catholic. I mean, I, I just don't know how to handle any of this anymore. Um, weird stuff. Guys, they're, they're going. They're going. Um, I was talking to my, my guys last night when we were watching the game, and it's like, do you realize that grandma wasn't even born yet the last time that this happens? You know, pray for that, yeehaw in that, and, uh, you know, talking about prayer. Let's talk about praying for things like that. It can be tricky to pray, can it? How, how do you pray right now? Lord, Lord let him win? Lord, let him win, yeah? Okay, any of you actually having like this moment though when you say that going, can I like actually pray that? Can I, like, is that cool with God? Can we pray that way? And, 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 and what about all the other kind of ways we pray for the stuff that we want, right? Can I, can I pray that? And you drive by, it's like, that's a sweet Mercedes. God, yeah, baby, right? <laughs> if I can pray for the Cubs, can I pray for that? It's tricky, isn't it? Sometimes, yeah. Yeah, it's tricky sometimes, isn't it, how to pray? Um, how do I know what's okay to pray for? What to ask for? How to navigate that line? Um, what I can come to God boldly on and what I maybe should feel sheepish about. How does God want us to pray? Got good news. Jesus gave away. Once you say it with me if you know it, okay? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Stop. Give us this day our daily bread. What's that getting at? How is Jesus showing us how to pray? How does that unearth and inform a way to pray for all these kinds of things that, that we, we, we yearn for and we want, right? Every single Day. Remember that when Jesus gives the Lord's Prayer, he isn't giving a mantra. He isn't giving some kind of like repetitive formula that you're just kind of like supposed to say because it's like a spell that does magic things. He's giving you a worldview. He's giving you a model and a way to think the way God thinks. To put yourself into God's place and say, I want to want what you want. Think the way you think. Approach the way you want to be approached. Every phrase of the Lord's Prayer is nothing short of an entire worldview packed into a mini phrase. And the worldview that we're going to look at today that Jesus invites us into is this. Give us today our bread for today. It's a little bit of an overly redundant way of saying it, but it's a little bit more literal to the text and the way Jesus taught it. Lord, teach us how to pray. Okay, give us today our bread for 
today. Let's unpack it together. That's what we're going to be getting at together today. Now, off the bat, let's make this clear. When Jesus is talking about bread, he's referring to something so much more than bread, okay? This prayer is not like, give me a loaf of wheat. Jesus is using the term bread as as a placeholder, as a moniker, you, you know, as a substitute to stand in the place for everything that we need, everything that we depend on, and more than that, all the things that we want and that are good for us any single day. There's a college professor named Martin Luther who wrote this little primer for Christians. And in it, he he talks about this. He starts unpacking and playing with this a little bit. And I love what he has to say in relation to this word bread. Here's what he says. Daily bread includes everything that has to do with the support and needs of the body, such as food, drink, clothing, shoes, house, home, land, animals, money, goods. We need that kind of stuff. Is it over yet? No, we need more than that. A devout husband or wife, devout children, devout workers, faithful rulers, good government, good weather, peace, health, self-control, good reputation, good friends, faithful neighbors. I got tired of writing. Okay, you get the idea. Everything that we have and want and need and yearn for is encapsulated in this word Jesus uses, bread. And what Jesus does is he invites us to understand that everything we have, that everything we yearn for, that every good thing that comes our way ultimately comes from God. Tucked within the worldview of this prayer God, I am dependent on you. I'm dependent on you. I'm dependent on you for what? For all that. For all of that and more. It's a way of saying, God, everything ultimately comes from your hand and I need you for this stuff today. This is all what's circling in this this little phrase, give us today, our bread for today. Which, of course, I know raises the challenge by some of us, and I know there's some of us here that look at this list and go, but it comes from me. It comes from me today. It's this great story. Um, early in the, the Old Testament, in the first, the first books of the Bible, it's called Deuteronomy. And... Um, I need you to kind of put yourself in in these people's shoes and in Moses' shoes who wrote this to kind of get the grasp of what's going to happen. See, the people of Israel had been wandering in the wilderness, out in the desert, for 40 years. And you know what? The desert really just doesn't provide a lot of good stuff like that. You ever try to get, like, water in the desert? And Israel's out there, and realizing how dependent they are on God because there isn't a drop to drink. You know what God does? Tells Moses, literally, I'm not making this up. He says, go to that big rock over there. Which one? The little one? No, the big one. See the big rock? Go to the big rock over there. All right? Just kind of hit it with your stick. 
and water comes gushing out. I mean, what, do you, what, do you, what do you do when you see something like that? I mean, here's Israel in, in the wilderness, completely dependent on God, and seeing God provide in the most miraculous kind of way. Desert doesn't really grow much stuff either. You get hungry, I mean, let's face it. How much food can you actually carry? And they find themselves out there, completely dependent on God. God, what are we going to eat? So God says, I'll tell you what. I'm going to provide for you. The next morning when you wake up, you're going to find some stuff laying on the ground. That's my food for you. Pick it up and eat it. Now, can I just suggest to you that if you find food laying on the ground, the first thought should not be, should I pick this up and eat it? Especially if it's in sand. I got nowhere to go with that, right? They go out the next day. They look on the ground. There's this white stuff. This white stuff, this film all over the ground. It's bad enough to find like food laying on the ground and eat it going, okay, has it been five seconds, right? It's bad enough. It's even worse when you don't know what it is. Kids, public service announcement, find white stuff on the ground. Don't put it in your mouth, okay? But God says, eat it. And they go, go, what is this stuff? What is it? I don't know. Eat it. So you know what they called it? Manna. You know why they called it manna? Because it's just a Hebrew way of saying, what is it? Every day, the what is it from God, but it tastes good. For every day, they saw God in this place of dependence provide for them in the most miraculous of ways. There's only so much of it you can eat. You ever like go on like a candy bender? You know, and it's just like your sugar levels hit and all. It's like you think this would be paradise and like four days in of eating nothing but sweets. And it's like you just want to roll over and die, right? And they start crying out to God, God, we need more than this. We need, we need meat. You know what God does? I got to drop it in your lap. Every night, quail just starts dropping out of the sky. What do you do if you were like hungry and you ask for food and you're walking down the road and like a fully cooked steak drops out of the sky, right? It's kind of hard to get around denying this here. Completely dependent on God and God providing for their needs, more than their needs in every single way. And now the 40 years is done. And before they go into this promised land, Moses has something to say. Listen to this, guys. Listen to what he says. He tells them. The Lord your God is bringing you into a good land. A land with streams and pools of water. With springs flowing in the valleys and hills, a land with wheat and barley, vines and fig trees, pomegranates, olive oil, and honey. A land where bread will not be scarce, and you will lack nothing. A land where the rocks are iron, and you can dig copper out of the hills. When you have eaten and are satisfied, Praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God 
Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and flocks grow large, and your silver and gold increases, and all that you have multiplies, your heart will grow proud. And you'll forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of that land of slavery. He led you through the vast and dreadful desert, that thirsty and waterless land with its venomous snakes and scorpions. He brought you water out of hard rock. He gave you manna to eat in the desert, something your fathers didn't even know what it was to humble you and to test you so that in the end it might go well for you. You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. I'm quite sure there are some of us here today that are saying, or at least deep in our hearts believe in some kind of way, my power, my ability, my acumen, my strength have brought this wealth and prosperity to me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. Tucked within this phrase is an idea that everything we have, everything we are, everything we need, all that we yearn for that's good, ultimately comes from God. Give us today our bread for today. Which is a bit of a troubling word, isn't it, today? I mean, give us today is fine. I like that today. Give it to me now, right? You ever pray that? God, I want it and I want it now. But what do I want now? Our bread for today. Which is a bit troubling because I want the security of having my bread for more than just today. I want God to give me my bread for today, but I also want, me, want God to give me my bread for tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the next day as well. How about you? To which, guys, uh, I would argue that God would say, that's wise. That's even good. The Proverbs are filled with this idea of saving and storing and, 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 and preparing for the future. Proverbs 21, I love what it has to say. Um, oh, I forgot about this. I'm gonna co- I'll come back to that in a little bit. Um, I love what Proverbs 21 has to say. Better to live in a desert. That, that is not it. Um, that's true. Um, <laughs> there it is. Next verse. You know it to be true. (laughs) In the house of the wise are stores of choice food and oil. But a foolish man devours all he has. 
He who pursues righteousness and love finds life, prosperity, and honor. But see, what the prayer does is it starts to challenge and turn on its head our ideas of abundance. Especially when abundance begins to feel like need. Which it so easily does. Doesn't it? You know, um, here at FOF, um, through this, this, this past series, we've been doing this faith challenge. That as we're looking at the Lord's Prayer, simultaneously we've been coming up alongside of it, trying to memorize Psalm 23. A lot of you um, might know this psalm. Some of you I know are even going after it hardcore. But the first lines, they're, they're kind of iconic. And I think they encapsulate a worldview or an idea that we sometimes falsely bring. You know how it goes? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. I, I shall not want for anything. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall be in want of nothing. Just You get this idea just basking in the blessing of God. I will want no thing. Next line, he makes me to lie down in what? Green pastures. And we pray, give us our day, this daily bread. And the picture I think that comes to mind for us is this. Give me the first one of the sheep, would you? Give me the first one of the sheep. More than I can ever take in. Seriously, when you think of Psalm 23, isn't this the kind of pasture you think of? When you think of the prayers that you have, the things that you ask God for, the things that you want, isn't this like the idyllic picture of what you yearn for? This lush, green, hip, deep alfalfa rolling around in your back and God just bringing it on, right? But you know what, guys? Jesus didn't live in Wisconsin. He lived in Palestine. And green pastures had a different connotation. You know, it meant a different thing. Israel has basically two seasons a year. From about March or April up until about October or November, it's the dry season. Now, deserts already are like a perpetual dry season for me. How about you? So I can't even imagine what a dry season is in a desert. Come on. But from roughly October, November, through the mid part of March is the rainy season. And parts of Israel actually, from a distance, I'm told, look green. But as you get up closer... What green pastures means starts to look a little bit differently. See, if you look very closely, you'll see little tufts of grass growing on the lee side of the sun where the moisture will hide, giving the sheep enough what they need for today. And Jesus invites us to pray Give me today what I need for today. Give me today what I need for today. Which, of course, is very troubling because, as we said, I want the security of not only today, but the next day and the next day.
and the next day as well. It's fascinating to me. Shortly after, Jesus teaches his disciples to pray this way. If you read this in Matthew chapter 6, it's where it's kind of laid out, right? He comes up to this, this next section that so beautifully just kind of dovetails with the struggle of praying this kind of way. Jesus says this from Matthew 6. Do not worry. Do not worry. Do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or what you will drink, or or about your body, what you will wear. Guys, is life not more important than food? And the body more important than clothes? Look Look at the birds of the air, Jesus says. Look at them. Look at them. They don't work. They don't punch a clock. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Which of you by worrying can add even an hour to your life? And why do you worry about your clothes, what you will wear? See how the lilies of the field grow? They don't labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow, is mown down and burned like weeds, how much more will he clothe you? Oh, you have little faith. So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Now give me the slide that has the next line on that, would you please? Look at the next line, the bottom. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness And all these things will be given to you as well. Praying, give us this day, give us today, our bread for today, really begs the question, do you trust God that he will actually provide for you today? Do you actually believe him when he says, seek first his kingdom, his righteousness? And all these things will be given to you as well. Which, if you're thinking about this, should really raise some questions for you. Maybe even some difficulties. There's people all over the world right now not getting their daily bread. People who are seeking God in his kingdom who are malnourished and starving, isn't there? What are you playing here? There's people all over the world right now lacking basic sanitation, the most basic of medical care, who are dying despite seeking God, 
who are not getting their bread today for today. And yet Jesus invites us to trust that he will provide for us. I want to do an exercise and maybe shed some new light on this set of questions here today. I want you to do this first, all right? Just everyone, just go like this, all right? Can you do that? Feels really good. Not too difficult, right? All right, you can put them down. Now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to raise your hand if, if when you read that last line, all these things will be given to you as well. If you read that individually, if you read the you, it's me. You know what I mean? If you read it that way, raise your hand. All right, there's like 30% of you who are honest and 50% who have no idea what I'm talking about. I bet you read that singular. That God's talking to you, you specifically, you individually. If I seek his kingdom and righteousness, I will get all these things as well. Did you read it that way? Come on, honestly, guys, right? Yeah, you know why you did? Because you're an American. It's true. I did too. Do you realize the you is plural there? It's masked a little bit in English, but it is. Do you realize it better reads, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to y'all as well? It's fascinating to me how the early church, those first followers of Jesus, sought to be the answer to the prayer, give us today the bread we need for today. There's this cool passage, it's in this, this New Testament book. It's like a little history book of the early church called Acts. And uh, there's this passage in Acts chapter 2. It's a passage so pivotal for our identity here at Fellowship of Faith that gives a picture of, uh, of how they lived. And it says this, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. It says everyone was filled with awe at the wonders and miraculous signs done by the apostles. It says this, all the believers were together and had everything in common. Keen on this, selling their possessions and goods. They gave to anyone as he had need. Do you realize that God has given his followers more bread than they can ever eat to be able to give and share with those in need? Or I like how Paul puts it when he writes to this one church. He says, guys, at the present time, you know, your plenty will supply what they need. What God has given you is going to help them with what they need. So that in turn, their plenty will supply you in your need when you need it. Then there will be equality. As it is written, he who gathered much did not have too much, and he who gathered little did not have too little. Lord, give us today the bread we need for today. It's a strange way of God saying, do you you actually, when it 
when it matters in practical, tangible ways, do you trust me? Do you trust me that all good things come from me? And that I will give you all what you need for today? See, what this little phrase of the Lord's prayer does is challenge whether we are going to live from a position and posture of fear or trust. Guys, some of the wealthiest people I've known have been the poorest. Driven and obsessed with an idea of scarcity. That all things depended on them. That not only their present, but also their future was in their hands. And if they let down their guard for a minute, it would risk evaporating and going away. Some of the wealthiest people I've ever met have been the poorest. Driven in slavery, bound to their things, to their abilities, to what they thought rested on their shoulders. And ironically, some of the the people that I've met who have been the most broke have been the wealthiest, the richest. Some of the most broke people in this world are the richest. Living with an idea that there's a God that got me and I can risk. I can get out there. I can do it. God's going to give me what I need. I don't have to worry. I don't have to fear. Let's go, God. And they seize it. What the Lord's Prayer invites us to do is challenge whether we are living our lives from a position of fear or a position of trust. Whether we think the weight of the world rests upon us or in God's hands. I was talking to this pastor from New York who had this like utterly incredible way of, of, he showed me something and it just breathed into this in a new way for me. I'll show you a picture here today. All right, what you are looking at is 30 Rockefeller Plaza in New York. It's the building in the back, 30 Rock, if you watch the show. It is a place of human prosperity, an achievement. It's where a lot of our favorite programming is not only filmed, but broadcast from. It's a place where the wealthy and famous of this world gather. The people that we emulate, we do. The people we want to be like, the people whose stuff that we want. It's where they gather and laugh and talk. It's a place where book deals are signed and publishing happens. And it's a testimony. What you have is a statue. It's the Titan Atlas. Those of you who are familiar with the Greek myths, you might remember how Atlas was cursed. Cursed with having to hold the world on his shoulders by his strength, keeping it afloat. 
And if you're looking closely at Atlas, you'll notice what he's doing, the great and mighty Atlas. His knee is buckling under the weight. You see that? Because when you try to hold the world on your shoulders, no matter how strong you are, you buckle, don't you? Under the weight. Now, as I'm told, directly across the street from 30 Rock is St. Pat's Cathedral. Two titans staring each other down face to face. Two worldviews stepping up to the line and looking deep into each other's eyes. Now, as I'm told, if it's a sunny day out and it's the right time of year and the doors of St. Pat's Cathedral are open, you can kind of walk by and glance down. And there's this long aisle that goes down. And if you're looking carefully and know what to look for, you'll see something there at the end staring back at Atlas. It's this little statue of the Christ child making the peace sign. Can you see that? And holding the world in his hands. Do you ever feel like you have the weight of the world on your shoulders? And if you breathe for yet a moment, it will collapse upon you? Do you think and believe that all the things you need ultimately come from your hand and are dependent on you? Or do you dare to believe that in the face of even mighty Atlas, this weak, humble boy who lived as a peasant was born in a manger and nailed to a cross stands there calmly holding the world in his hand. Everything in his hand. You. In his hand. Give us today our bread for today. It's how Jesus invites us to approach life. How to live. We are. We're going to pray today. And we're going to use the words from a proverb. It's actually a proverb that Jesus used. Uh, for his idea for the Lord's Prayer. Here it is. Two things I ask of you, O Lord. Do not refuse me, God, before I die on this. One, keep falsehood and lies far from me. Okay, got it. But two, give me neither poverty nor riches. 
but give me only my daily bread. Why? Otherwise, I, have, I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Don't need him. Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. I was thinking about this. And you know, a lot of times we pray together. But I don't know if I can pray this way. Keep the poverty, give me the riches. I'll risk handling it, right? You know, there's this parable Jesus tells about a uh, father going to two sons. He goes to the first son, hey, come and work for me today. And, and the, guy, the kid goes, okay, but then he doesn't. Goes to the second son, hey, come and work for me today. No way. Later, kind of feels bad about it. Goes and works, and Jesus goes, be like the second way. I was going to have us like, pray this together. But I don't want you just to be like saying things. Because you're in church and that's what you're supposed to say. What I want to do instead is this. Invite you into a time just to come to God personally in your own kind of way. Whatever you're struggling with, wrestling against, or challenged by, in give us today our bread for today. I invite you to bring it to God. Bring it to God and wrestle it out with him. So would you rise with me? We're just going to take a few moments, quietly, silently, and individually. This band comes forward, let's pray. forgive us for the times when we start to think everything comes from our own hand when we carry the weight of the world on our shoulders instead of resting knowing it is safely in your hands give us today our daily bread give us what we need and yearn for and may we not be closed-fisted, hard-hearted. Hear us together as we pray. Most merciful God, we confess that we are by nature
He's got it. He's got you. He knows what you need. He knows what you want. He delights to give. May that shape you and dare you to believe in him today.